This episode of the Behind the Shield podcast is brought to you by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for well over a decade, and they are offering you a 15% discount on every order. And I will tell you that code in just a moment, but I want to do another product highlight. And I can testify, as with the other ones, through personal experience. I wore a 511 uniform way back when I worked for Anaheim Fire in California, so we're talking 13 years ago, and I know for a fact that some of my brothers and sisters I work with still wear some of the clothes that they were given when I was hired there, so some of the job shirts, jackets, and this really kind of resonated with me because I realized so many of the departments I've worked at, there are men and women with lockers crammed with old, worn, frayed uniform. And that really represents wasted budget. So to have uniforms with durability means that you don't have to purchase them as often. Now you can apply that budget elsewhere. Another area they've really focused on is redesigning their women's first responder uniforms. I am a skinny six foot tall man and some of these uniforms I'm issued literally hang off me like a trash bag. And I can imagine it's even worse being a female first responder. So they have really taken that into account and redesigned the cuts so they're far more flattering to the female firefighter, first responder, medic, etc. On top of that, several departments I work for have gone from job shirts to polo shirts. 5.11 has those. And then to underline a product I've already talked about, they have the footwear. I wore the CST slip-on boot for a long time from 5.11. And now the Norris sneaker that you've heard me talk about is a lightweight duty boot that puts far less pressure on the ankles and knees, the back, etc. So as I mentioned before, they are offering you guys a continuous 15% discount. And all you have to do is use the code SHIELD at checkout at 511tactical.com. So once again, code SHIELD at 511tactical.com. Welcome to episode 274 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I am so excited to bring to you Ashley Iverson. Now, if you recognize the last name, Ashley is the widow of Corey Iverson, who was the firefighter killed in a wildland fire back in 2017. So this is going to resonate with you as a responder, with you as a spouse of a responder, because we talk a lot about that side. The families are left at home while we're out fighting fire, responding to calls. And the hope is that obviously we return home, but some of these men and women do not. So Ashley's perspective is heartbreaking. But yet with so many of the people we've had on the show, there's also a lot of hope and a lot of new things that bloom from some of these tragedies. So a great, great conversation. As I always say, please take a moment go to the podcast app that you listen to this show on so whether it's itunes stitcher spotify and leave a rating obviously subscribe but the ratings the five star ratings are the things that make us most visible for other people looking for a podcast like this and if you have feedback please write that too i love reading the feedback and then take social media word of mouth email whatever it is and share these amazing episodes ashley's story is heartbreaking but as i said it's also going to be very pertinent for so many first responder families out there so without further ado i introduce to you Ashley Iverson. Enjoy. Ashley, I want to start by saying thank you so much for firstly being patient. I know we did this conversation face-to-face a while ago, but I think we both agreed that uh, the universe was telling us to 
to have a redo. So uh, welcome back to the Behind the Shield podcast. Thank you, James. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. So um, I know that this in itself is going to be an interesting question. Where are we finding you today? And then why are you there? I am in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, and I am here because um, in 2018, I, um, I found um, a tattoo artist to, to help me um, memorialize Corey on my body. And she uh, was able to produce some pretty amazing work. And uh, Corey and I <clears throat> had always talked about um, getting up to Whistler. Um, and, uh, so Thanksgiving of 2018, I was able to get up there and, and bring him up there with me. And, uh, this was, uh, it's a, it's a very, very magical place. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I found myself, uh, living here someday, to be honest, it's, it's got that feeling of home for me for some reason. Brilliant. Now, for everyone listening, obviously, Corey is your your husband who passed away. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, so an interesting kind of side note as well. You were telling me before um, that you're actually spreading Corey's ashes literally all over the all over the globe. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's really legal, but we are. <laughs> um, and his brother is creating a map for us. Um, and it'll be pretty interesting to see where he's like what um, kind of shape he's made once once he's uh, all out there. Yeah. Well, I use the word allegedly. That way no one's uh, <laughs> going to get in trouble. That's <laughs> the magic word. If you just say the word allegedly, yeah. oh, I'm fine now. You're right. <laughs> we just bring, we just, I just bring him around with me in a little jar everywhere I go, you know. So. <laughs> all right. So then going back to the very, very beginning, where were you born and what was your family dynamic? I was born in Monterey, California. I'm an only child. Um, I was raised by a man that was raised post-depression. Um, you don't feel, you don't express emotion. Uh, you're very disconnected. He followed after his father's footsteps and became a pilot uh, privately and um, a mechanic. And uh, he, uh, he worked. He worked and he worked and he worked. Um, and... I was raised by a woman who um, was told she was a mistake. Um, and uh, so she has had uh, her fair share of uh, mental health struggles uh, throughout her life. And um, yeah, it's, it was not a, it was not a um, rough upbringing. It was not a bad upbringing, Um um, but it was it was definitely challenging at times. Yeah, it's it's so crazy when you when I do this podcast now, all, all the different people I've had from multiple generations, and you hear of the, the the domino effect of you know parenting. Some might be an innocent you know mistake, like you said, post depression that wasn't a deliberate thing. Like I'm going to be this way now. Obviously, it was a. It was a social thing at that point, but um, you know, being told, for example, you're a mistake, how crushing that must have been to your mother as yeah. a child. I mean, and and to yeah. to look back now at some of the horrendous upbringings of some of the people that be on the show and some of their previous relatives, I don't think people realize how much 
cruelty and poor parenting there is out there because we're too busy distracted by our laundry detergent adverts where everything's idyllic. Yeah, I think I think too though we have to keep in mind that you know if you use two siblings that were raised es- essentially in the same environment, uh, it, it's it's impossible to raise two children exactly the same. However, um, you can see two people that were raised in the same environment that take two separate paths in life, and to me, that is ch- that's because of choice. Um, you, you can be raised in a very toxic environment and you can choose to let that destroy you, or, or you can also let it be a foundation uh, of, of where you came from and um, change um, what you're going to have your, your outcome be for the rest of your life. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that's it. Some people buy into the cycle. Well, you know, I was unfaithful because my father was unfaithful and his his father was, you know, or you you can be the first person that's going to be like, no, I'm going to be staunchly faithful because I saw the trauma that my father brought to his relationships, you know? So I think there is that. I mean, there's no question that we're led down a road. And for some people, it takes a hell of a lot of self-discipline to unhinge yourself from a very unhealthy path, you know? But ultimately, like you said, it is it is choices, but I think it also... Is awareness. Yeah, and, and it's up to us, society, to look out for those people too and be the mentors and the men and the women and, and help guide them back off that path to to a path that they'll be proud of. Absolutely. But it also, again, comes back to the individual, whether they're going to choose to accept that guidance and advice and help or not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So um, when you were young, were you an athlete? Did you love sports? Yes. I, I've always been a, a pretty active person. Um, um, when I got into high school, um, one of my middle school teachers told me, you'd be good at running. And so I found myself doing four years of cross country, was on varsity all four years. And with that came track and field and uh, was fortunate enough to do some pole vaulting in there. And, um, uh, yeah, it, I've, it, exercise is definitely, um, what got me through the high school years. Brilliant. Now, what about career? What was your, your career aspiration when you were in high school? I've always been an artistic person. And when I was in high school, I thought that photography was going to be my career path. But at the time, it seemed as though being in a gallery would be the only way to have monetary gain from doing that. And so I took the next path of least resistance, if you will, um, and had the intent to go into hair and makeup. So when I graduated uh, from high school, uh, San Diego sounded good. And so I found myself at San Diego State and got my bachelor's in business management with the intention of going into hair and makeup afterwards and did that and uh, started a career in, in cosmetology, essentially. Right. Now, what about the photography side? Is this something you still do? Um, it's just like a, you know, a fun passion project kind of thing. But it's, I, I, yeah, it's it will never be, um, uh, you know, to bring in money, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's such a powerful medium, though. I, I um, came across a photographer called Lee Jeffries, who's an Englishman, um, through uh, Josh Brolin. He, he absolutely raves about him. And there's something about the camera in the right hands to, to be able to capture yeah. the human spirit is just absolutely incredible. Absolutely. It's breathtaking. Yeah. All right. So then we're going to go back and do the same thing now, as best as you can, um, with Corey. So where was Corey born? <laughs> Um, he is from Escondido, California. So, uh, San Diego, North County, San Diego. Okay. And his family dynamic. Um, he has a, a younger brother that is 12 months younger than him. Um, how oh, they, they're best friends. Um, and, um, his mom and dad split when he was two and she got remarried. Um, and his, um, stepfather had a daughter that was, uh, they're all, they're all around the same age. So, um, and he also has, um, a half brother, um, that is, I want to say like 11 years younger, um, from his father's side. Right. And then what about the, the sports side? What, what were the sports that he loved when, when you guys were together? Football and baseball. Um, he was a smaller man. And so, um, you, however, you wouldn't know it because of his drive. <laughs> so he, he would uh, dominate on the football field, but um, all, and also baseball. Um, he, uh, he wanted to be a sports broadcaster, but schooling was not his strong point. And so he then thought of a groundskeeper for the Padres and life just didn't turn that route. His, his uncle um, is retired Cal Fire and he followed after him in his footsteps. I would say that his uncle, uh, Stephen, was uh, yeah, like his father. Right. So he, but he didn't start with Cal Fire, did he? So it was uh, Harmony Grove first? Yeah, that was a volunteer station. So he he um, got his training there, then um, got picked up by Cal Fire, did one or two seasons there. This was before we met, so I'm, I'm not uh, exact on his history there. Um, and then went to Bear Divide with um, the federal agency and then came back to Cal Fire when we met. Right. Okay. So then that brings us up to where you guys met. And this is a very uh, humorous story, in my opinion. So, <laughs> so tell me about how you met. It's a pretty good one. I, I don't know if there's, there's many that can top it, but um, 2011, um, there was a massive blackout in San Diego, um, it stretched all across the country, I left um, 2 million people without power for over eight hours. Um, and it happened to fall on my birthday. And it, the year anniversary came of that blackout. And at the time I was living in the gay district of San Diego. And I had befriended one of my neighbors and her girlfriend worked at the main lesbian bar in Hillcrest. And uh, my birthday rolled around and me and like 10 friends went out to dinner and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do afterwards. And uh, my neighbor came up to me and she said, let's go to gossip. They're having a blackout party. I said, fine, 
I'll go get hit on by girls on my birthday. It's not a big deal. Let me go home and put on my lesbian attire, my flat boots and my glasses because I already had my flannel on. And uh, we we found ourselves at uh, this lesbian bar and I was standing there uh, probably looking at my phone like everyone else on the planet and waiting for everyone else to uh, get in. And Corey strut was just strutting by me and he... He said, um, hey, you're cute. And I looked up and I said, well, hey, thanks. How are you? Are you gay? He said, no. Are you? No. All right, then. I'll see you inside. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's definitely, I am a very strong believer now that it happens when you're not looking for it. That is definitely for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just a funny Funny story because people are like, "Oh, never go to bars." You know, if you want to meet someone, they're like, ah, unless you go to a lesbian bar and you're a straight guy. See, <laughs> yeah. so that's, yeah, that's well, the subtext. <laughs> yeah, that they they yeah. <laughs> All they right. had a good time there. <laughs> so tell me about you know the the dating after that then. Um, it you know to be honest, at the time when we met, um, he was with Bear Divide. Um, still, and for those that don't know, um, federal firefighters, he was a hot shot. They're working straight for eight months, nine months out of the year, traveling all across the country. And so, you know, both of us didn't really believe in love, to be honest, that it, that it's real. Um, and with his line of work being gone so much, he didn't believe that, um, you know, a female could stay faithful when they're gone for long periods of time. And, and I also didn't believe a, a good looking firefighter could stay faithful, you know, when, when he's gone. And so I basically just said, nice to meet you. See you never. And I was pretty surprised when he hit me up a couple of days later. And I told him that, you know, I, I told you, you didn't need to contact me. And, and he was like, well, it's not my first rodeo. And after that, he waited. This was in September when we met. He waited until the end of his season when he came back to San Diego and um, asked if I wanted to go for a hike. And so we started dating and in, in really in the end of uh, 2012. And we played the game hard. Um, it, we uh, When we were together, it was it was all good. You know, things were effortless. Um, but then he would go to work. He went back with Cal Fire and I wouldn't hear from him for three days. And so it got to a point where I just said, you know what? Um, in the middle of 2013, I said, you know, I, I love you, but I love myself more and I have to go. And, um, we split ways for a few weeks and I don't know, I guess, uh, I was that lucky one that, that caught his eye because he, he asked me again, uh, to, to go on a quote unquote nature walk with him. And, um, which for him, that was wearing 40 pounds on his back, full turnout, <laughs> basically running up the hill and I'm wearing no weights and struggling to run and keep up with him. This man was a white rabbit getting up a hill. And I told him that day, um, you know, I, I want to have a family someday and I don't want to have to tell my babies. I don't know when dad's coming home because you don't have the decency to check in. And it was, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it, it was 
like a scene out of a movie. He kissed me and it was a whole different ball game after that. We were all in and um, he, um, we ended up, this was in uh, July of 2013. We ended up moving in together in September uh, he proposed December 30th. We got married March 22nd. We got pregnant uh, May 23rd. And, and it was just go time. You know, it was all fear was left. And he was, huh, I, I, I had a love that many people search for their entire lives. And you can idolize someone very easily that has passed away. Um, However, I don't, I don't feel as though I'm exaggerating um, what we had uh, very much because I hear it from outsiders that knew us and saw us and um, the love that I had with him uh, has definitely carried me uh, over the past two years. Well, I mean, it sounds like you guys were just so, so meant to meant to meet i mean you know and and the the environment that he was in obviously knowing it as as a firefighter um it's not set up for success when it comes to to marriage and and for both of you i want to ask you about this in a moment stating that you didn't believe in love and having that kind of uh lightning bolt hit you on that mountain i think that's uh you know that's an incredible moment that like you said some people just don't have they just kind of found themselves growing into each other and then sadly a lot of times growing apart again but i i believe in that i had that with my my wife my second wife um and yeah i mean i think that's what everyone should search for oh i'm oh man i'm i'm so grateful for it well you mentioned that so before you guys got to that moment that that lack of belief in love what do you think was the reason for that? Were you hurt in the past? And then, and then what changed oh, yeah. on that mountain? I mean, yeah, I, I am a, I love hard and, um, it's just, it's part of who I am. I, ever since I was a little girl, I just wanted to find that partner and that, that, that person to share life with. And so, I went through a handful of relationships growing up that I, I knew they weren't right, but it, it was that concept of just hoping, you know, and wanting it so bad that I was crushed um, after each one ended. Um, and, and, at 19 years old, I, I found myself suicidal after a, a toxic relationship ended because I lost my identity during during that year I was with him. And um, the difference between Corey and I, it, we encouraged and enabled and um, motivated one another to be the best version of ourselves. Um, and he helped me, um, stop smoking marijuana and, uh, that I had been smoking for 10 years of my life from 16 to 26. Um, at 19, I started, uh, taking antidepressants rather than going down the suicide route, but I found myself smoking marijuana and taking antidepressants unmonitored for seven years. And the combination of the two just 
doesn't it, it, it doesn't do anything it doesn't benefit anything and he, he <clears throat> you know I, I I would smoke and and immediately have an anxiety attack and and he never judged me but he gave me this clarity of what what do you do why like what what is the benefit of either one of them giving to you and yeah, I I was able to to stop both of them, and you know the the uh, anxiety and anxiety um, didn't leave um, because and depression I would say uh, didn't leave even though I was in a healthy marriage and I ha- and I had a family and I had a uh, successful co- career there was something missing still, uh, in my life. And Corey could see that. Fortunately, he didn't struggle with, uh, mental health. Uh, so he struggled watching me struggle because to him, he was like, everything's fine. Just raise our girls. Don't, you know, don't worry about anything. Um, but, but there, the, my sense of life purpose had not yet been fulfilled when he was here. That's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've watched my wife go through it as well. Becky's, you know, struggled with, you know, with mental health and she lost her, her boyfriend before me to suicide, you know? So that was a huge blow. So when we met each other, I was post-divorce, she was post losing him. And, you know, we were, we were both kind of wayward, but just like you guys are talking about, the goal was to, to help put yourselves back together again. And just from my personal perspective, when you first meet someone, when you fall in love with someone, that's another individual. But if you get into a relationship and now that kind of two becomes one thing, like you just kind of merge into this morph of, of the two of you, I think that's where, you know, where people find problems and, and, and like you were doing. Yes. I, thank I think, you. Yeah. Is, is, is you want to be, as you said, you want to enrich the two people that you are. And if your partner enriches you and empowers you, you're absolutely with the right person. If they're sucking the life out of you, maybe one of the other millions of people on planet Earth might be better for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that was why our relationship thrived was, was his line of work. You know, we had not spent more than four consecutive days together before we got married. Um, that's how much he worked. Um, however, you know, as difficult as it is to not wake up next to your loved one, it, it, um, required me to maintain who I was, you know, I, I feel as though I'm able to continue forward through this tragedy because I had the tools to do this already. You know, I, I had, I had the, I would actually say to people, I, I'm, I'm already, I'm before he left, I'm a single mom. I just have the emotional support. And so, oh, it's, it, it's, you know, uh, first responder, especially firefighter, uh, life is not for the faint of heart. However, the people that are, can, um, uh, wired for it, I would say, um, it's, yeah, I our marriage thrived because of it. Yeah, you know, I've never, I never viewed it with that perspective before. But you're absolutely right. Is as 
as many negatives as there are from you know a member of military or first responder community to be away the the kind of uh side effect of that is it does create more independence between the two partners in that relationship because you have to be uh, Amanda Marsh talked about that when um you know when Eric Marsh her husband who who passed away in the Prescott fire um he was a hotshot you know so again he was away for for months at a time and you know she she was a a single mother basically at the other time but but then they had that that period where they had to kind of relearn to be a married couple when he came back from a fire oh absolutely i think that that's where the struggle really is is real um the the re um uh, what's the word um reintegration that's not the right word um you have to relearn how to cohabitate with one another. And it, it can be very isolating being a fire spouse in those moments because you don't want to reach out to other fire spouses when your your husband or your wife comes home and you're fighting the whole time they're home because you're trying to recalibrate together. And, and in your mind, you're like, oh, shit, like, our, our marriage is not is is not um, strong. It's not uh, healthy because um, we're struggling when they're home. How, but but that's not that's not accurate. It's just because you have been forced to be independent, and then you have to relearn how to cohabitate with someone for a very short period of time. It, you you've got to be extremely flexible um, and extremely strong in communication in order to maintain a healthy relationship uh, with a with a first responder yeah no I, I agree 100 percent and and there's you know I think that the unsung heroes are definitely the family and this, this that sounds so cliche but it's absolutely true like we're you know we go to work and we we have that structure we go to this building and we're there for 24 hours and we the, the alarms go off and we go you know pavlovian response we jump on and we do our thing and we come back um but in the meantime in a parallel universe our spouses you know or our our partners whatever it is are doing whatever it takes to get there through their 24 hours and you know, we we on some days absolutely may need to be treated with kid gloves because we've seen the most horrendous things, you know. But regardless, it doesn't matter because at home the baby might have been crying up, you know, all night, and then you know the other partner not slept. So absolutely, why would it not be, you know, um, a, a challenge, a challenge to actually come home after you know a long deployment, you know, whatever it is, and have that time? And then we talk about this. Um, in some of the episodes where as a responder, I never thought about this, but maybe we should take 30 minutes to walk, meditate, listen to music, whatever, to punctuate between our 24-hour shift and then going home and being a father, a, you know, a husband, a brother, you know, whatever it is, because you can't just <laughs> leap off uh, you know, a rescue where you just finished doing CPR on someone, jump in your car and 20 minutes later, walk through the door like you're you're mentally not ready to be a father yet. Yeah, that that reentry period should be taken more seriously, just like you're saying. Um, and I think that that comes back to communication and flexibility on both parties um, to to make one another aware of what you're walking into uh, on both sides. And 
self-love, you know, give yourself the permission to take 30 minutes to ground yourself and center yourself. I know that, you know, for Corey, he would get off a shift 450 miles away uh, when our, our first baby girl was two months old, drive through the night, get home at four o'clock in the morning, would not sleep because he wanted to spend every waking moment he possibly could with his baby girl. But at the same time, he was killing himself doing that because he didn't um, give himself the permission to care for himself to be stronger for us. So had we missed out on a, on a couple of hours, um, it, we would have lived, you know, but it, you know, it's just that, that um, push pull of what, you know, the, the balance of, of life and awareness of what self needs in order to be healthier for everyone else in, in your peripherals. Yeah. And I think the, the, uh, you know, sleep when I'm dead philosophy is really kind of. Oh, you definitely lived by that. Yeah, I think most of us do, especially earlier in our career. You know, and that's that's sad because you will be dead a lot sooner, and you'll get to find out if that works or not. You know, whereas I think what needs to really be the philosophy now is is less is more. You know, if you take thirty minutes to decompress, or if you take that hour and a half nap before you drive through the night, the you know you. The chances of more quality time when you get home are a lot higher versus if you're running on fumes. Yeah, you might physically be there, but I know what it's like. But coming you're not off. No, there. And, and you want to be with every fiber of your soul you want to be, but your brain just will not work because you're so exhausted and sleep deprived. You cannot be that person. And that child that, that normally when they cry, you, you'd, you'd feel empathy for and you'd hold. 48 72 hours into a shift when you come back it, it it's like nails on a chalkboard you know and, and if you don't get that self-care it's basically reflected back out at your family and and it's 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 not paying dividends you know where, whereas the investment of a little self-care will pay dividends with your family um you know if if you take care of yourself first yeah yeah Oh, I, uh, I was very fortunate to, to witness Corey walk through life without fear. Um, but I think that the only thing that he did fear was time. So it's, um, you know, that's, it's, it's just difficult. It's giving yourself the time for self, um, and, and, uh, but then also having that, in the back of your mind, um, how much time do I, do I have though? And so I should be spending every waking moment I can. So it's, that's a tough one. It is because none of us know. And obviously that's extremely pertinent in your story, but I mean, where's that balance between being awake 24 hours, trying to do as much as you can, or just trusting the process and, and, and enjoying those 24 hours? Right. Well, then, before we transition to you know the the Thomas fire, um, you obviously were a single mother. Excuse me, a, a, a single child, um, only child, and you know you mentioned about your parents and their upbringing. What what was that experience parenting for the two of you coming from those two different backgrounds and and you know uh, assuming wanting to to break the cycle, especially on your way as far as what you'd seen your parents endure. <laughs> 
um, uh, as as a younger person, so let's say middle school, high school, uh, college years, I wanted nothing more than to disconnect from them. Um, I think that that was a big reason for marijuana just was a, a way to kind of escape in a way and or just kind of give myself an added challenge to get through life kind of thing. Um, and numb, right? You know, it, but what I did learn through that is what, I, I mean, I would assume drugs in general, but marijuana for me, um, all it's really doing is exacerbating your underlying feelings and emotions. And so I was not using it properly because I would use it when I was already not feeling good. So all that would do was exacerbate it. And so I definitely prolonged the healing process of, of, uh, the word that's coming to my mind is neglect, which I, I, it's such a harsh word. Um, and I don't like it because it's a very negative connotation um, because I know very much so that my parents loved me, especially my mother. She did everything she could for me, but the, the, the you know, she was so wrapped up in, in her own mental health. There was a level of neglect because she was so f- uh, consumed by the darkness in herself. And, and same with my father, he was just consumed with what he knew, which was just working and just, just, um, trying to provide monetarily for his family. And it, it, it really wasn't until, um, Corey came around that I started, um, really becoming aware of self and wanting and desiring to be a stronger human being um, for for myself and everyone else in my world. So what I've observed from my perspective, and I think, again, this you're talking about Corey and time and everything, is as a first responder, we see the end result of you know, like you said, poor choices as well, but but poor parenting. And I think I've observed that a lot of the firefighters I've ever worked with have been really, really good mothers and fathers. And I think it's because they see what happens if you if you do disconnect, if you you know, if you do neglect, you know, it can it can certainly increase the likelihood of crime, addiction, violence, you know, all these other things. Um and pouring myself into my little boy made me realize well that's one soul one kind soul back on planet earth you know what i mean and and i think that again with that cycle breaking realizing that as a parent if you do engage if if all of us chose today everyone on planet earth to raise kind compassionate children what would happen to violence on planet earth i mean a couple of generations it would be gone and and the, the, it's heartbreaking because it really is that simple. Now, obviously, the environment that people are growing up in around this planet may make that very, very hard. But being an engaged parent is absolutely the solution to so many of the problems that we see on planet Earth. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's so it's so complicated, though, because... It, 
breaking that cycle, right? And and getting to a point of of realization and um, enlightenment that you can really it's it's all perception. It's all how you see things that that manifest into your reality that that concept of um instead of praying for it praising for it or essentially thanking for what you have even though in your mind's eye or no in your mind's eye you have it but tangibly you don't already have it and so it's like those parents that are so wrapped up in the cycle of not having how can you be raising someone to to that they that they do have you know so it's ooh, it's hard you know and i and i honestly don't i, I i'm pretty pessimistic and maybe it's realistic i don't know i i i don't think that our world will ever get to that i think it'll unfortunately only get worse it's like it 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 i think that it'll be very split between um people who are enlightened um and people who just can't do it and just don't want to do it and don't just you know to have that choice and that ignorance if you will of of how easy life can really be you know it's like the how is your is your glass uh, glass half empty or half full it, it it is just perception and some people just choose to to be on that negative side of the spectrum because it's easier for the, I don't know I don't know what it is uh, but it's it, yeah it's e- it can be very easy to go down the dark side of life because um uh love and and uh positivity and gratitude is choice um and and a practice so um you know I could wake up every morning and just be like ah fuck like here we go again. Like I, I, I'm not really sure what the purpose of all of this is, and I, I'm, I'm gonna just put one leg in in each pant and trudge out in the cold and blah blah blah. Instead of instead of before I open my eyes, being like, wow, I literally can have anything that my heart desires, and all I have to do is believe. And it just it just shifts everything. Yeah, I, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. And it's it's a, a choice again. And the, I think what what is hard is we're we're in America now, and our culture specifically, which I adore this country. Let me preface that. But our culture, like what comes through our television sets and our devices, is you have to buy all the shit to be happy. Because MTV oh, yeah. Cribs told me this basketball guy has got all this money and 27 cars. Because obviously, we all know you can drive 27 cars at the time. So that makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. But, you know, so to give, you know, in, in America's defense, the younger generations growing up, all we're taught is, and I don't think capitalism is even the right word. I think capitalism ultimately is just trying to make a living, you know, and not have monopoly over everyone. But, is that you're not happy unless you have this stuff. And then, you know, heartbreakingly, the people that we're supposed to look up to politically are 
fucking horrible people at the moment, <laughs> left and right. So that's not gonna. Oh. You're not gonna get any kindness, compassion, or gratitude from any of those assholes at the moment. Yeah. And I'm, you yeah, know, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm talking out of terms, but it is what it is. Of the yeah. millions and millions and millions of people, we couldn't find someone who can be tough with the war and and you know an economy, yeah. but not be a giant douche as well. And I'm talking about yeah. for you know decades now. But you know that's what it is. It's like where do these people turn for? the kindness, compassion, you know, the kids go to school. All they got to do is focus on passing a standardized test. They're not being taught about love and kindness and compassion. And, you know, so so that's the problem I have is, and I'm seeing a paradigm shift. I've seen people getting sick and tired of the negativity. I'm seeing the the videos of kindness that are caught generic. I mean, uh, organically, not the ones that are, you know, taping himself. Hey, I gave a homeless guy, you know, 10 cents. Um, right. But, you know, that those are going viral now because people want to see that. They want to see the good stories. But and there's a there's a, a a yearning for that. And I think that's the beautiful thing about podcasts. You know, I mean, Joe Rogan's a perfect example. Here's a comedian who, you know, in the, in the face of the UFC, who has now become this incredibly influential f- figure through a podcast because there's no filters. And he gets these people on, of some of which are politicians that I've really enjoyed listening to him talk to them. Because they tend to be the ones that actually give a shit. Yeah. Um, so, but 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 I totally believe in what you know what you're saying, and and you know I do the same thing when I wake up. The first thing is like, wow, I woke up. That's better than you know how many people that didn't today, and and having that gratitude. But to my belief is that there are countries around this this beautiful planet of ours that get it way more than we do. So it is possible. It's about leadership. Leadership in, you know, in the family unit all the way through to to the the you know the national political leaders. And but we as a culture literally have to get out pitchforks and uh you know torches and say enough is enough. We're tired of you assholes dragging each other through the mud and teaching our kids that this is what they're supposed to be like. You know, we need to have that kindness and compassion and love. I mean Martin Luther King Day is next week and that guy, you know, his his whole thing was nonviolence, and look how how many people showed up in DC that day. That yeah. is true leadership. Yeah. So I get off my soapbox now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, I guess I'll just go back to where you kind of started with that in the tangible things. You know, if you have more things then then you'll be happier i think that a lot of those people are realizing um the gravity of how finite this place is um and have in a way essentially put themselves in the center of the universe and they're in control of everything and and if i have more things then that means i have more control which uh i i I feel bad for those people, honestly, because um, there is so much more than things, um, you know, which is, that sounds very cliche just coming out, but it is, it is reality. And it's, you find those people um, that have so much, right. And they've got their hands clasped, clasped, so tight around their money and that's that concept of if you're looking at your fist clasped around your your money 
then then how could you possibly have more come in? But if you open your hands to give, then look, your hands are open to be able to receive. So, uh, yeah, it goes back to to your point of of care and compassion and love and giving and like look at like Ellen for example, how much she gives and how much she has. It's it's pretty obvious what the right way to live is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well then let's transition to uh, I guess the events leading up to the Thomas fire. So um, tell me about Ryan Mitchell. Uh, so November 5th, 2017, um, one of Corey's colleagues, who is a captain for Cal Fire in the same uh, battalion as him, uh, jumped off a bridge. And um, Corey was asked to backfill for him. So, so Corey was essentially working in his position after... Um, after Ryan left and when Corey came home, uh, one of those last times I, I saw fear in his eyes. And I think it's because it put a tangible reality to what I struggle with into his life. And he had for the first time, this awakening of how quickly mental health can change everything. Um, and then um, the, the last time Corey was home, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, I struggled with this, um, uh, purpose, right. I, I was struggling to find my real purpose. I, I, I always had an inner need to help people on a greater level than myself. And I, as a, as a hair and makeup artist, you're, you're an unlicensed therapist, you know, and, uh, but one person at a time just wasn't enough for me. So I was holding four or five jobs. I, I became a professor of cosmetology. I started doing Rodan and Fields. I thought about being a yoga instructor, you know, uh, thinking about the, you know, uh, life coach, but I couldn't figure out how you gain credibility to be a freaking life coach. And, you know, so it's just like, how, do, how do I touch uh, a greater population? Um, and, and Corey was home that last time. And I just had this ridiculous panic attack. I mean, the kind, the kind where you're hyperventilating and crying so hard, you can't even open your eyes because they've swollen shut. And I, I talked about it when, uh, I spoke at Corey's service. I, when I was able to open my eyes, I, I saw him dying, watching me die. And it was as if he had this second phase of awakening that he could, he knew in that moment, he could not fulfill that need for me here. Um, and it, it was as if the, he, he sacrificed himself to to um, to heal me, to give me uh, purpose. Um, be, because he gave me a platform that I would I would have never otherwise had, and an awareness, um, the gift from Ryan, the awareness of of the uh, trauma that uh, these first responders are, are 
taking in on a daily basis, you know, even, even being a fire spouse, never once did I think about all the lives that they don't save and the trauma that they're experiencing on a daily basis. And the fact that they're just in expect to internalize this uh, for a day, five years, 10 years, 30 years um, without any um, encouragement to decompress everything in the, uh, first responder community is reactive. So, so right after Corey left, I mean, like day, like in the first day, I started asking his colleagues what level of mental and emotional health care they receive on a daily basis that is proactive. Because all I could think of was uh, what had just happened to Ryan a month before. Um, and and I, I was basically laughed at because... There's, there, there was pretty much nothing um, in the workplace encouraging mindfulness. And so it was like, it, it was just instantaneous of, of Corey leaving on why, why I'm here is to bring awareness that there's an epidemic within first responders uh, that, that needs to change. That's what the reason why I started this podcast is I looked around and of course there were some people that have been doing this for a long time, but they were dotted around the country and around the globe. You know, this is, this yeah. is a, a problem we're seeing internationally. And, you know, you look at the, the old days, you know, the coping mechanisms that we had intrinsically. We had dogs in the stations. We, you know, they, they truly would sit around you know, and, and talk at the firehouse table that they weren't running calls 24 hours straight, you know, they were, they were doing them occasionally. So organically, there was that support structure built in, but you know, that that's not 2020, you know, that's not 2017. And, and yeah. the, the firefighter of today, the police officer of today, the dispatcher of today is extremely different than back then. And, you know, we, we, I've talked about this a lot, but we have as well, very sadly, this Hollywood version of what a man is or a woman is and suck it up, rub some dirt in it. And, and that was all from a generation that didn't do a damn thing. Now, it's not the World War II generation telling you that because they know damn well what they saw, what they had to do, you know, but sadly, they didn't really talk about it very much. But so, yeah, we, we had this kind of facade of what we were supposed to do. And I think it's now finally getting enough exposure where people realizing that it couldn't have been more wrong. But that that complete absence of, of support, not only from the administration, but from each other, from us, none of yeah. us were, were getting it. So I'm not going to blame the people that we work for solely, but collectively, absolutely, there is a a huge need for us to... To, to change that mentality because how can you how can you work in a job you know, doing the things that we do and expect it not to affect you it's it's impossible exactly that it's oh i i i mean i have the most respect for first responders because they get into this industry because they're compassionate and loving and caring people and then to think that that type of person isn't going to be affected is just, it, it's such a juxtaposition. It's, it's, it, you know, it, how, no, no, it's not possible. Um, 
But I think that it hasn't been talked about and it's been avoided for so long because there's no clear cut answer. It's not like cancer where you can either cut it out, treat it with chemo, radiation, homeopathic options, or you die. There are so many different avenues of uh, mental health uh, care that that it it's just like ugh, it's just too much so i'm just going to avoid it and it's also so isolating because when when you're in that that darkness place it's like if for some reason the brain has told you that you're the only one and uh you're you're only going to be burdening someone else if you shed light on it which is so far from the truth, but, but I mean, shoot, I've been there. I was there a couple months ago, but fortunately I have learned tools. What works for me to move through those dark times in order to have uh, clarity of mind that this is temporary, you know, this darkness, if I, if I choose the healthy ways to move through it and feel it and, and ride the, the, the wave, the low part of the wave, then, then, and, or use the tools that um, are, you know, the, 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 the um, okay. Okay. So, so I, I, the, the option of medication, if things get so dark that, you're, you're terrified. I mean, in the, in the past, um, it was basically November through December for me, I was triggered so heavily in this grief period that I, I started feeling paranoia and I don't, I don't mean just like, oh, okay. Like I'm, you know, I, a brief, lapse of paranoia this was debilitating i just any any worry that that you and i have in life exacerbated so high that i was walking around for a couple of months with cortisol just pulsing through my body i could literally feel the anxiety just circulating through my arms my legs my chest pretty much at all times so, so in that moment and in those times, it was like, okay, meditation, um, yoga, talking to a therapist, uh, getting sleep, it wasn't enough. There, there needed to be assistance of a, a chemical that was unable to be, to be produced and or released in my brain. And so I had to uh, accept the help from medication uh, and, 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 you know, accept, you know, accept it with self because when I met my husband, it was like, oh, okay, medication is not what you need. So I had it in my mind that, that if I'm accepting medication, then something is really wrong and, or I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. So it's, it's just, having the ability to give yourself grace to know that I'm in a really fucked up place right now. And there can be other options than 
sticking a gun in my in my mouth because I don't I just want to escape this this hell you know I just want to get the fuck out of here and and that's where suicide comes into play is the fear that this is never going to go away Uh, and I think that I think that what I experienced over the past couple months was as much as I hated it, it was something that I had to go through to be able to uh, understand what what those people who are suicidal are experiencing and to 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 give me the gift of being able to sit here today with you and have hopefully I pray that someone out there is able to hear the words that I'm saying right now and realize that it will not last forever. All you have to do is give yourself the grace to accept help and keep breathing because nothing is nothing here in this world that we know is permanent. So, you know, you again, you can look at it as a half glass, half full, half empty, you know, and you can think, okay, well, I'm in a really good place, so this isn't going to last forever, so fuck, I might as well just end up in the dark side. But, but it's just that choice to just let yourself experience. And, and, you know, I'm sitting here looking out at massive snowflakes falling from the sky, and I can have this choice of awe and wonder on, on how how you know how how snowflakes are even made and it's possible and just it's like i'm watching little uh, uh twinkles and and sparkles fall out of the sky and just when two months ago i was crippled on the floor in my shower just crying out to just get me the fuck out of here and two months later i'm able to sit in this magical place and just realizing that just because you're in this darkness literally does not mean you're going to be there forever. Forever, You're not. It is not possible to stay in one place forever. The simplicity of that is like, I mean, like so many things we've talked about, that's, that's the sad thing is that so many of these elements are simple you know and like you said you will come out the other side when they say that the, the darkest time of night is right before the dawn you know and which is you know that's all well and good that's that's just lip service for me but but it's true you know and then what you said about the the complexity of mental health what i've seen with the people that have you know come across my radar the the, the men and women that i've actually been lucky enough to talk to that are in some sort of crisis when there's also an understanding like you said, that you're not alone, you're not crazy, you're not weak, you are a result of your circumstances and, you know, your choices up to this point. But that ends today. But when there's an acknowledgement that maybe part of your mental health is to do with the fact that you work these crazy shifts and you're up every fucking night when normal human beings are supposed to be asleep, it has to be done. Someone has to take the watch. But understanding that's part of it, understanding that what you've seen is part of it, that that you know, whatever happened in your childhood is part of it. And this is a cumulative thing that is resulting in, you know, in this point. And like you said, the way it was built up 
it can also be unburdened as you start chipping away at that, as, as you find a mental pra practice, as you, as you realize that you love hiking and you get out in nature and all of a sudden you feel better and you see the wonder in this amazing, you know, the planet that we're on and the, the gorgeous nature and the, the changes in weather. And, but in that moment, like you said, that's such a powerful kind of perspective is, Yes, it sucks. I mean, we hear that the Navy SEALs on the show talk about that when they're going through hell week and they haven't yeah. slept for a week. There's yeah. so many of them that go, I can just take one more step because they know it is going to end. And it's the same with this. And then, like you said, in this, that, that class of buds, you're not there alone. You're there with all in that particular, you know, group men. Um, and you're helping each other. And that's the other part you've got to remember is that, you know, a, it will end, and B, there are so many people that just want to help. You just have to let them know that you need help. Yes, you have to have the courage to open your mouth. Yeah, and then we have to have the ones that aren't hurting at that moment have to have the uh, the empathy to notice when someone's hurting as well. And it's those two things coming together that creates a, a success. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Well, then, just for for everyone listening, I mean, I don't want to, you know, rip the the scab off the wound, as it were. But um, do you want to tell the the story of December seventeenth? Uh, December fourteenth. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. No, that's all right. Seventeen is when we brought him home. Um, I I um I woke up that morning, and uh, at the time, I was about twenty weeks pregnant with our second baby girl, and just battling with perpetual morning sickness so wh whoever came up with morning sickness is a fucking asshole because <laughs> uh this was not in the mornings this was 24 7 for me just feeling like i had a perpetual hangover and wanting to yak all day long but i never could so i never got any relief and uh, you know, her sweet baby girl, evie was only two years old she had already learned to get herself up get herself uh, the TV started her own breakfast because I would just couldn't get out of bed. I just, it was horrible. <laughs> Pregnancy was not my favorite time of life. Um, but uh, this particular morning, um, for some reason, I was prompted to listen to a sermon. And uh, normally I would listen to them before going to sleep. And I, played it and another strange thing that I did or out of character I opened up the bible and I I don't normally open it up and read it because it's just um it's overwhelming to me I I struggle to to understand it and so I just kind of avoid it and I opened it up and it was psalm 16 the and I've actually listened to the sermon uh since then a couple months ago and <laughs> what i took from that sermon was not what i what i heard at all uh two months ago it was a totally different thing which is very ironic to me because that morning um it was his grandfather's 80th birthday and he was dying of cancer and the one uh verse that i took out of psalm 16 was uh, the concept of uh, in death you will you will not be abandoned and um <laughs> i thought that i was uh, reading that and praying to sh to share it with uh, Corey's grandmother for when grandpa left and 
it, it was it, unbelievable that that God was was giving me those words because um, I think I mean, an hour later was when he, Corey took his last breath and it was really for me. So um, there was that, and then um, I got up and and uh, made Evie a pancake and and we tried to FaceTime. Corey, now he was on a 24-hour shift the day before, so when they're on strike teams, they work for 24 hours, and then they have an uh, R&R 24 hours, and so that morning, he was supposed to go off the line, and he had given me some notice uh, earlier on. He had been at the Thomas Fire since it started, so he was there for about nine days at that point, and uh, he he let me know that the reception was not very good. And so uh, we FaceTimed him and he didn't pick up. And I figured it was just because he was still in an area with no reception. And I come to find out later, it was, I uh, FaceTimed him after it had happened and before they were able to get him out of there, um, which was about a, a 30 minute period of time. Um, um, so we had also had planned to uh, take his grandfather out on Lake San Marcos for, for his 80th birthday. And uh, about 11 a.m., I loaded up Evie into the car and I gave uh, his aunt a call. And uh, she picked up and I, I said, we'll be there in 10 minutes. And she said, OK, uh, we're just getting grandpa down to the dock. Um, and I, I got there 10 minutes later and I saw, I parked and, and, and to the left, I saw Lori, his aunt's car and I saw his grandma's car. And then to the right, I saw a Cal Fire car and I thought to myself, okay, it's kind of, that's kind of weird, ironic, but, but maybe Steven, his uncle, because he's retired, maybe he rented a, or he rented, he borrowed a rig for the day to tote grandpa around for his birthday. Some that's what crossed. That's what went through my mind. And I, um, got Evie out of the car and, and I got the grandpa's cake in the other hand. And I went to the left and I saw Steven come around my car on the right. And the look on his eyes, the first thing I said to him I said, did grandpa just die? And um, he, he, he was shaking. He, 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 you know, he didn't know what to do. He, he said, he, he, he took the, 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 the cake from my hands and he said, you, you need, yeah, you got you got to sit down. Gotta, and I'm like, what, what is going on? What's wrong, Stephen? Um, and and, and he said, he said it was Corey. I was like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like he's hurt? He's hurt? And I don't know. No. No, he's gone. And, and I asked, no, 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 no. And I just, you know, it's him. I, I stepped a handful of steps away from him and, I fell to the ground and, oh, you know, it's so different than being with someone and and seeing them leave because for me, 
he just disappeared. You know, I never, I didn't, I didn't have the ability to like say goodbye, you know, and like, um, so anyway, I, um, I knew in that moment, um, that I was never going to lie to Evie. I was never going to pretend like what just, what I was told was not real to her. I didn't care how old she was. I I knew that she needed to know what, what I was just told. So I stood up and she said, and my shoes came off. And she said, mommy, mommy, put your shoes back on, you know. And I, I picked her up. And in that moment of, of shock, I was not crying. And I, I was very... Um, um, Oh, it's just, uh, I, it, it, it was as if I, I just shifted into Corey's work mode. I, I picked her up and I looked her in the eye and I said, Hey baby, <sighs> daddy went to be with God today and he's not coming home. And she, she just started sobbing into my shoulder. Like, I don't, I, I'll never know to this day how a two-year-old little baby girl could um, understand what I had just said to her, but she did. And uh, I'll never forget that, like, line of vision I had. I was looking over at, like, hills and blue sky. And it was just like this tunnel vision that they... And they try to emulate in in movies, and, and I I couldn't see other than 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 homes and just blue, and uh, I knew that I needed to call my father because uh, he since I left for uh, college he went to he was encouraged to go to a retreat with an organization called Mankind Project. And through that process that he chose to put himself through, he has become my father, brother, and best friend. Uh, um, he now, um, instead of avoiding feelings and emotions, he's the person that I can call to feel and talk through things. And, um, I called him and he picked up the phone and said something that he had never said before and I guarantee you he'll never say again he said good day and I said it's not a good day my husband is dead and uh you know yeah, no that's what I heard just kind of like this long like it just kind of like faded into the background of my awareness and I just handed the phone away and I I just I just I just I just just taking some some deep breaths and just kind of just like this daze of oh my god like what what do you okay what what is what 
what is happening right now? What is really happening? And a couple couple moments later, I was I was handing my phone back and I looked down at it and it was calling my god sister. And I, I you know, I um t- I talked to her through 2017. We were going through some pretty heavy mental health stuff together, um, and uh, we were both. Pregnant, I believe, at that time, I think, yeah. And uh, it, I knew, I knew that I shouldn't hang up the phone. My my phone was calling her for some reason, so I let it ring, and she picked up the phone, and I told her what happened, and I got off the phone. Come to realize later, had she not known and called her parents right after. The, her her folks live right down the street from from my parents' house. Within minutes, my parents had a support system with them. Had that that call not gone out, my folks would have been alone together. With a they they don't have a a rock solid marriage. They just my father tells me that he has stuck it out because he took a vow and. So you can you know, just imagine they live in two separate homes on the same property. That kind of that kind of uh, dynamic. It's just unbelievable. Every single thing that has happened since Corey left has been terribly perfect. Just the the worst of outcomes, but has had the most unbelievable results, which has has expanded my uh, awareness of 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 this world so so much uh, that everything is just intertwined and Corey has just, oh, just been, um, uh, it's like, he's just like, I, babe, I love you so much and I'm going to make this, this reality for you as smooth as possible because I can't, I honestly can't sit here and say that I would change it because the things that I've experienced since he left have been mind blowing. Like, I don't know if it's because he kind of bridged that gap between self and God. It's like I'm able to pray to him and I like have this. It's just like that disconnect of self and God has just gone away because now I'm just like, babe, you know, I'd I'd like to... I'd like to I'd like to meet Alan DeGeneres. I'd like to meet Gordon Ramsay. I'd like to go to Hawaii. I'd like to you know, go to the mountaintop that we always and everything. It's just it's like he's up there and he's just like, all right, babe, go. Just do it. Like experience life joyfully and happily and and experience the things that you want to experience and and um i'm so sorry that i'm like crying and like trying to speak through this because i'm sure it doesn't sound very good anymore um ashley do not apologize for crying for god's sake (laughs) i'm like really surprised that i'm able to actually speak through this um um just just after that phone call went out um tony meacham um the unit chief of san diego got there and um 
the other thing that was running through my mind in that, that period of time was um, uh, um, the, the hotshot crew from Yarnell, the Yarnell fire, um, and how there was 19 of them. And so I'm thinking, oh, fuck, like how many people is ex- are experiencing what I'm experiencing right now? And uh, so I asked Tony right when he got there and I said, who, who else was hurt? And, and when he told me no one, I felt genuine gratitude. Um, and I think that that was a very, very unique situation that totally shifted the course of, of my experience because I don't, I don't know any other person. I can't think of any other person that within the first five minutes of being notified that their loved one was gone, uh, felt gratitude. Um, so I think that there are just so many different uh, building blocks and, and puzzle pieces of my particular situation that just enabled it to 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 be uh, so much more awe inspiring than just a tragedy. Um, and and why my experience and over the you know the the first year and a half I thrived through that grief period. Um, and also gave me gave me the awareness that it, no one's grief is going to look the same. I mean, it's it, it's the same concept of no one's life is going to there. No one. It's not possible for anyone to walk this same walk. And it's it's it is synonymous with with grief. It's you know you'll have similar. Uh, situations feelings emotions and but you know when 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 women um, i've spoken to a i have actually i've not spoken to any widowers that it has happened since mine right okay so but i've had way too many females since um and some of them say to me when does it get easier well i can't I can't answer that because, first of all, your it, it, it's your it's your it's your experience. So so I can't say, oh, okay, in two years you're going to start laughing again, or in in this particular time frame you're going to feel this because it's not realistic. It's not it's not possible to say that. I smiled and I laughed the day it happened. It was not because I was happy about what happened, but I knew that Corey wanted to see me smiling. I want. I knew he wanted to see me laughing, um, and and I, I, I had so much support and love around me. I couldn't help but be smiling because, because you know. It sucks to see so many so many other people affected and hurting, but at the same time, it's it's so it was so um, heartwarming and just moving to see how many people were affected by this one person and the one person that chose me to love. You know, it's just I he. 
<sighs> I'm just like so uh, grateful that I was the person that he loved like he did. <sighs> okay. I'm done rambling. <laughs> You're not rambling at all. <laughs> well, firstly, well, with with how you are feeling, I've I've heard this from so many people that have come on the podcast. Um, you know, one of my most recent guests, Pat Kenny, he lost his son to suicide, and he lost his wife to brain cancer. Oh, and you know, God. within I think it was like a ten year period between the two of them. And again, he not only. Did he have areas where he realized that through that one trauma, there were all these things that were making the world better through, you know, the, the, these tragedies that happen, but also these amazing messages from beyond the grave, you know, where, where the yeah. spirit of his, his daughter, excuse me, of his, uh, of his son or his, his wife. I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful story that, that again, I believe completely as well. There's a connection, whether you think it's heaven and we've all got wings on our back and there's a big white dude with a gray beard, or if you think it's a little more abstract than that, regardless, the fact that we are having this experience and then, you, and then you know, that we're just suddenly going to disappear, of course not. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that that's something you see a lot is out of these tragedies. Of course, these men and women want their loved ones back, their limbs back, you know, whatever it was that they lost. But you hear the phrase so many times, if that hadn't happened, I would never be here. And you yeah. don't, and of course, you'd rather be back to normal, but it led you on this different path. And so again, as we said earlier with the whole gratitude piece, uh, why would you not be grateful that no one else died? I mean, it's tragic that he did, you know, and, it, and it's, it's as a firefighter thinking tactically, you almost wonder, well, you know, how is it that only Corey got burned over? But that's that's just what it happened. But like you said, would it be better if 10 people got burned over? No. So I don't think there should be any guilt attached to, to that. And absolutely, if any one of us was on the other side of this human experience looking back at our loved ones, would we be like, oh, why aren't they crying? You know, no, you'd, you'd be like, if I, the, the sooner you can heal, the better. Take this and move on and do something amazing with it. Oh yeah, uh, um, but you know it, it's 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 like um, the 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 more pain you feel is because of the ability to love, you know, and so it's just it's like everything else in this world as we know it, the yin and yang of all of it, the the push pull of everything and, and just, just embracing it and, and letting it be as it is and, and, it, and moving through it and experiencing and loving. Yeah. And what's the alternative? We don't love on, on the off you, chance. Yeah. And you fear and that's when you kill yourself is because you're consumed by fear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to, to this, a good segue, really, um, with the mental health side. Now, you had that that kind of aha moment with mental health and first responders very, very early on. So, alongside, parallel with, obviously, a, you know, a horrendous grieving process, especially as as a single mother, you know, having another child, you know, once once Corey had already passed. At the same time, what was that journey from that little spark to the Iverson Foundation? 
Um, well, I, I mean, it literally was in days. I was, it was when we were driving up to Ventura to go get him and bring him home. I said to Tony Meacham, I said that this is what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm doing it. And, and he said to me, he's like, oh, he kind of like looked at me kind of crooked, like, okay, little girl, like calm down. Uh, that's, that's a pretty hefty feat to take on. Why don't you start with the families? And I said, no, I'm not, I'm going to start at the root. Why would I go to the secondary? I'm going to, I'm going to start from the ground up, you know? And, um, so really it's a state of mind, right? It's just this, this culture shift that I'm preaching and advocating for, but I figured that, having a 501c3 something legal i would be taken more seriously and so i i waited until i had taylor i decided to pop a baby out first and then, <laughs> and then um you know um have it legally established but i was talking about it um and and doing things to make it a reality in terms of like coming up with the name and coming up with the logo and all the the to me the fun parts of it the creative side of it right um and had already started speaking engagements um and and verbally sharing my story and what my intent was to do and so it's all just been very organic and um uh, non, -re non resistant. And so it's just it, it which, is, which is why I know that this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. It's, it's given me this awareness, uh, another awareness that, uh, there's no point in walking through life, uh, pushing against resistance. Um, you know, it's one, it's one thing like having a door close in your face, face and be like, okay, but I don't know. I, I don't know to be, uh, maybe I should just even retract what I just said. It's just like a door closes because you're supposed to walk through a different one. So instead of trying to bang the door down, just find a better door. You know, it, 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 it's that, it's that, um, the ego that tells us, nah, this is how I'm life is supposed to be. And this is what I'm supposed to do and blah, blah. You know, it's like, well, that's that's pretty ego based and pretty self-centered, in my opinion. Um, maybe I'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree with that. Uh, but in this experience for me, um, it's been very clear through resistance and non-resistance, uh, the people that are supposed to be in my life and the thing the the actual things that i'm supposed to be doing so the foundation itself like like fundraising for example th this is where i'm trying to get with that um in in a year and a half well since so he so since Corey left we've had over a hundred thousand dollars come in for the foundation and i have done zero fundraising so that just tells me that this is what is supposed to be happening. I, I, I don't I don't like that that money is, you know, the, our world is driven by money, but unfortunately that when you have it, more things can happen in this world. And so to see it just effortly effortlessly, well, you know, 
that too can have different perspectives. Some people can say, well, you've been working your ass off. But at the same time, it's just, I've just been showing up is what it's been feeling like to me. I've just been showing up to what I, what God has told me to show up for. Um, and it's just, it's just happening. It's just, it, it, it's in those times when I've, I've, um, oh, you should, you know, you should do this and you should advertise this. That's when I'm like, nah, that doesn't feel right. It's, it's not necessary. That's when things kind of, uh, the brakes are kind of put on, um, and, and, or the brakes are kind of put on when I start feeling like I need, yeah, they're just that I need to control what's happening. What's, that's that's not when things flow. It, things flow when when you release that control. Um, it, it's been really amazing. Um, you know, I kind of I thought in the very beginning, okay, maybe it, it'll have this kind. The foundation itself will have this kind of module or or model of forcing first responders on each shift to sit down together in a circle and essentially do a peer led support group, AA meeting. Right. And, and they've got to talk it out with, and very quickly I realized that one modality is not going to work for each person. And so I just left it at that. I'm going to focus on the awareness piece. I'm going to focus on um, helping people inside and outside the, the industry become aware of what's happening. Um, and then I and then I just kind of was thinking about the different options of modalities and started uh, praying or meditating on those people um, to be able to facilitate modalities to come into my life. And uh, I shortly thereafter became aware that someone reached out to me that is a part of um, Resounding Joy, which is a, a music therapy. Uh, program in San Diego, and they uh, confronted me and and uh, uh, proposed a a pilot program, a six week pilot program, going into the workplace once a week and doing music therapy. And it was literally verbatim what I was saying needed to happen, and it just it just came right. So we are able. Cal Fire gave me the ability to be able to implement um, this music resiliency program, um, which is still we're still working out how this can be a how it can longevity of that. Um, so that has happened already, um, and the other piece has been um, yoga. Um, I had a, a, a yoga instructor who is a, uh, her significant other is a firefighter. So she has the uh, cultural awareness um, and cultural competency of being a, 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 a in the fire world and the first responder world. And, and she, she has given me the ability to implement yoga in the workplace, which to me, as of right now, seems to be the, the most um, tangible mindfulness practice um, to be implemented around the world. Um, 
to get culturally competent yoga instructors into the workplace um, everywhere, really. Yoga is uh, underrated, I think, um, in a lot of cultures and, and people that have not practiced it yet that don't understand that it's not just one thing. It's a trifecta of connecting the mind, body, and spirit um, in a non-threatening way. That's the other reason why I think that yoga is going to be a very good tool for first responders because it's non-threatening. It benefits in a physical way. It benefits in a mental way and it benefits in a spiritual way. So that's been, that's been really amazing to see because we've been able to provide it to them free of, free of charge. And they, they just tell us when to show up. We're there for an hour. They get the ability to disconnect and, and go into self for an hour um, and, can, and continue on. So that's, that's been pretty amazing to see that come into fruition and be a, a, um, a, an outlet for the foundation to really do something tangible. Yeah. Uh, I think yoga is absolutely fantastic. I had uh, Olivia from uh, Yoga for First Responders on a little while ago, and, and there's so many elements to it. Like you said, obviously, you've got the, the mindfulness, which we all need, you know, with so many distractions. I talk about this sometimes. You can't even go to a restaurant without there being TVs everywhere. You know, it's, it's almost impossible just to be present. Um, so you've got that element. The, the, the ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Let's just, let, let's mind, uh, mindlessly, you know, the, that, that, that terminology is used so often. I'm mindlessly scrolling on Instagram. I'm mindlessly la, 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 because it's so much easier to walk through life mindlessly rather than mindfully um, because being mindful and aware of self is not comfortable. It's difficult. Um, it's challenging and it's work. Um, but there is so much more benefit when you are mindful um, and and work through that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got the, the physical components. So not only the mobility, which, you know, is going to bring, um, but a big mistake I made till so very recently, I had a, a Navy SEAL, Jeff Nichols on, and uh, he was talking about the choosing the workouts after we come off shift. And he's like, when you come off, don't do a red line workout or you're going to add stress upon stress. And I, that was exactly me. I was there like, I'm going to quote unquote, flush it out, you know, and it ended up being the reverse. So yoga, we talk about that 30 minute period before you go home. What a great thing to do is, you know, get your relief, you know, take your gear off the rig, go into whatever space you have for, for fitness in your station and just go do a 15 minute yoga practice and, and that will actually ramp you down. So it's not about not moving. Absolutely move. But it's yoga, whether it's gentle exercise, but we got to understand that exercise can ramp us up or it can bring us down. I think yoga is one of the great ones. If you choose the right type of yoga to deescalate the stress from a shift. Absolutely. Um, I was pointed in, in the right direction uh, to an individual, uh, uh, Jake Schumacher, and he um, owns Story and Pixel. He's a cinematographer, and he's the one that created that beautiful video to uh, articulate what the foundation is doing. And he's also given us the ability to um, film 
some yoga practices and also some um, meditative music therapy practices. And shortly here in the, in the next little bit, we'll be able to have um, those up online um, for anyone to uh, access at any time. So, you know, whether it's a, a fire spouse or it's, um, you know, uh, someone in the first responder world, which is who, who it's geared towards. But if they don't have a yoga instructor there at the station for them, they can just go on onto the website and pull up these videos and, and do it themselves. Yeah, and I love that. I, I followed Rodney Yee for years and I got all his DVDs. Never met the guy, never went to his studio, did all the yoga just from a television and DVDs. So, I mean, ideally, can you go with these great people? perfect you know if you can but for the rest of us <laughs> you know i mean there's no better thing we have a device in your pocket now you know put on your little bluetooth headphones put it where you can see it and just just follow it for 10 15 minutes i do the same even with meditation headspace great great app you know so yeah use technology for good brilliant all right well then while we're on the subject of the foundation um where can people find it and how can they help donate iversonfaa.org um, on Facebook. It's also the same handle, iversonfaa. Uh, Instagram is the same, iversonfaa. Um, and then there are links within within the within the website to be able to donate there. Brilliant. All right. Well, then let's transition to some closing questions. I'm not going to ask you about documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know you, that's the thing we did last time. You know, let, let me get back to you. I'm <laughs> Three Fine. months later. Um, actually, you know, I, I'll, I'll throw one back at you. I, I don't know if it would be a good thing to watch or maybe a not, but I saw, um, I think it was called Fire in Paradise and it was about the Paradise yeah, Fires. Yeah, I don't know if I can do it. No, it might not I be a good one it. for you. But for people listening, yeah. um, I'll throw that out there as far as, you know, the devastation from a wildfire. I know the Thomas Fire was horrendous and burned a thousand phones of uh, phones a thousand homes excuse me and probably phones but um but yeah that was a good one i'm hoping to get the the dispatcher that was working that fire that's another you know group um you know the, the kind of unsung heroes but to listen to all those homeowners pleading you know pleading for someone to come get them uh, many people died in that fire that would have been probably pretty horrendous for them yeah, well, I've got. I'm going to be featured in a documentary, so I will be able to recommend one. Finally, jeez, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I might as well just be in them instead of watching them. Uh, no, this individual, John Preston, he is uh, ex-military. Uh, is a current firefighter. His brother was ex-military, went into law enforcement, and took his own life four years ago on January 13th. Um, John is now currently. Um, hiking down the coast of California, um, 22 miles a day, carrying 22 kilos on his back, signifying the 22 veterans that take their own lives a day uh, for 28 days. And he is um, being t recorded on his journey, and it's going to be turned into a full-length uh, documentary um, and I'm going to be hiking with him on the 29th into Montecito, uh, which is where he found out uh, about Corey uh, while while he too was on the Thomas Fire. So that'll that'll be really really cool to be a part of. 
Yeah, very powerful. So let me know as soon as you know you guys have finished that, and obviously we'll help promote that too, and let everyone know that it is now available. Great, thank you. Actually, Twenty Two and You is another place. They are they have chosen us to be one of five beneficiaries um, for their fundraising uh, efforts. So Twenty Two and You dot net is another one. Dot net, brilliant. I'll make sure I put that on the uh, the website jamesgearing dot com for this episode as well. All right. So the other closing questions, is there a book that you love to recommend? I would say The Circle Maker by, um, of course, now it's leading me, Mark Batterson. Um, And then I would also recommend Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. That's That's a pretty profound one for me. Brilliant. All right. So we talk about documentaries. What about a movie? Like my favorite movie? Yeah. <laughs> Maverick. <laughs> so you're a bit of a Selleck fan, huh? I mean, yeah, there's that. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's just not that into you is another good one. <laughs> that, that's a good movie. That's hilarious. That was pretty much my entire youth. <laughs> right, right. Oh into you brilliant um okay so is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders of military and associated professions of the world um well let's see you've already um talked with ben vernon so i would say john preston will be another another cool one to talk to um and and kendall wood i think it would be fun uh, to hear uh, another perspective of being a um first responder significant other and also in the yoga community brilliant fantastic all right thank you so then the uh last question before we just make sure everyone knows where to find you again um what do you do to decompress um i jazzercise really i haven't heard that word for a while Oh my goodness. I'm so grateful that Corey's aunt does it. And I, I started doing it because um, it is right next to my daughter's school. Um, and it's relatively cheap. It has music and it makes me laugh. And so it's been this whole whole healing thing. And it has gotten me the, in the best shape of my life. Um, and so it's just a win-win situation. And, um, I also practice yoga. I meditate not enough, but I do. Um, I speak to a therapist, uh, regularly, which that, uh, you know, we don't have time to go in too deeply, but the stigma surrounding talking to mental health care practitioners, I believe needs to shift because, what our culture says right now is that you should speak to a mental health care, health care practitioner if you are not mentally well. Uh, well, I think that that is a bunch of bullshit because it's the same idea of a person going to the gym to get physically fit. You don't go to the gym to get strong. And then once you're strong, you stop. Um, unless something happens, unless something happens, right? You, you keep maintaining that strength and keep growing on that strength. And, and I think that it should be the same way with, with speaking to a a professional. Um, 
because it, it helps you maintain your, your mental strength. And also I think that people are also resistant to speaking to mental health care practitioners because they think that you go there to get advice from someone. I think it's more so giving yourself the permission and the safe space to organize your thoughts. It's more of uh, you, again, doing the work. It's just giving, it's having someone that's unbiased to be able to uh, speak to and organize your thoughts in a, in a, a safe environment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I refer to it like chiropractic. You don't wait till you yeah. get hurt, till you hurt your back to see a chiropractor. You go make sure everything's in line. If you believe in chiropractic, I do, you know, but right. you can use that analogy for anything. Do you want to, do you want to be, wait till you're prescribed blood pressure meds or do you want to eat well and work out every day so you never have to? I mean, it's, it's the same thing. It's, and it's what the foundation is doing. It, it is practicing proactiveness. Yeah, something like you Proactivity. said. Proactivity. Our, yeah. our uh, profession is not so good at being proactive. We are reactive, definitely. Brilliant. All right, well, just one more time. Let's just go over where people can find you so we've got it you know, seared in their minds. <laughs> IversonFAA.org. Beautiful. All right, well, Ashley, I want to say thank you so much. I mean, I it's always such a... I kind of double-edged sword with this because I know how much value I've seen it now for three years and the, the comments and the people that reach out and, um, you know, are, are moved by these conversations. But on the other side, I, I understand, like, asking someone to walk through their trauma again, you know, how hard it is for you. So I just, I, I'm so, so grateful that, that you are, you know, courageous enough to be vulnerable and and tell your story um and you know i know that it's gonna affect so so many people but you know all i can say is thank you so much well thank you so much i am grateful for the opportunity to be able to walk through these these doors and i need to say thank you to you um you are one of those people who have walked into my life that very clearly uh are supposed to be in my life and um, the support that you have provided for me in the short amount of time I've known you has been um, uh, more profound than I think that you realized. And I'm, I'm very grateful. So thank you. Well, thank you. The feeling's mutual. It's funny because it started off in a creepy hotel room. <laughs> with, with two men. With two yeah, men. It's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 